0: If you would this morning and turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, I am going to continue this morning what Sky did so beautifully last week as he began and looked at the first two verses of Matthew 9 that were at the end, and I'm going to finish up that text this morning. I want to remind you, Lord willing, next Sunday I'll begin a series through the book of Proverbs and I'm looking forward to that. It, it will be my uh, plan to to start Proverbs next week and probably go through June. There's a lot to say about Proverbs, and one of the things I really want to accomplish specifically next week in my sermon is help you to see how the book of Proverbs is uniquely Christian, how it teaches us how to follow Jesus in every single area of our life. There is no area in which God does not care and have something to say. And we have these available out in the lobby. We just kind of uh, offer these for you to get if you want to have them and take notes. They're simply just a scripture journal, so it has Proverbs in it, and then a place for you to keep notes if you want to do that. Uh, You're welcome to get one of those as well. But this morning, I want to do something, honestly, a little bit different. If you're visiting today, uh, this will be a little bit of a different sermon. I'm normally just walking through a book of the Bible, but... I want to speak to you really pastorally this morning. There's some things on my heart that I believe that God is stirring, some from last year and uh, some for this year. And specifically, uh, something I believe that God wants to do in the next season of our church. And I can say this, I, I really think with confidence that there's something that God wants to do that if it's not done, I'm not sure he's going to do the next things he wants to do. And so I just kind of want to communicate that with you this morning from my heart. And, um, you know, last fall we began this initiative called MORE, and uh, many of you remember that, and we talked a lot about that. We really focused all of our sermons for the last part of the year on the presence of God and our, our vision to be a place where we enjoy and experience and expand the presence of God. And along with that was really a vision for the future and what we wanted to see God do. Part of that uh, was our desire to to give more to missions. So in our budget this year and next year, we have $600,000 just in our budget going to the nations. But in the next two years, our goal is to add $1.5 million to that. Uh, So our goal is in the next two years to give an additional $1.5 million. Uh, Our goal is to raise up 100 pastors, missionaries, church planners in the next 10 years. We believe one of the greatest impacts we can have on the next generation is by raising up men and women uh, to go start churches. And so our part of our vision is that. We talked about our vision of meeting what we believe is the greatest felt need in our community by starting a counseling center. And uh, God is leading us in that. Part of that was also just the expansion of our facilities and all that God uh, wants to do there as we continue to grow. I'm really grateful. You know how I beg you every Sunday morning to leave the second service and come to the first? You know about that? Uh, We had like 100 college students come to the first service this morning. It was awesome. And we're still full. So I think new ones filled it up. But that's awesome. So we praise the Lord for that. Uh, but we wanted to kind of meet some of those needs and talk about that. And so what I want to do for a little bit here is, is I want to talk about what God did and what he's doing and connect that with Matthew 9. So we'll get a sense of what I believe the Lord wants to accomplish uh, right now in us so that he can continue to do what he wants to do through us. You know, I think a lot personally and as, as a family and, and as a church about Jesus healing the 10 lepers, the story that's recorded in Luke 17. Jesus heals 10 lepers and he sends them away and only one comes back and gives him thanks and Jesus says, where's the other nine? That's not a story about being polite, although you should say thanks. It's a story about acknowledging, stopping enough to acknowledge the good things God has done in your life and giving him thanks so that he gets the glory. You see, when we don't give thanks, we kind of defer the glory to us. When we don't give thanks, we act as if the good things God has done in our life are things that we deserved or things that are there because we worked for them when the reality is we have no good thing in our life apart from the grace of God. In Psalm 69, one of my favorite verses says this, we magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. So every time we give thanks, we exalt Christ. We show that he is the reason for the good things in our life. And so it is good and right for us to stop even as a church and acknowledge the good things the Lord has done so that he gets the credit and he gets the glory and lest anyone think that there's any other reason for the good things apart from the grace of God. You know, some of you may have been hearing, there's a lot of news about this, about kind of post-pandemic church numbers starting kind of towards the middle end of July and how so many denominations, so many churches have consistently declined and the people aren't coming back. And I know that that is true, but let me just tell you what's happened to Prince uh, since about the middle of 2020, so a little over two years. The first thing is this, from that moment when we came back to worship until now, we have had 421 people join our church in the last two and a half years. We have increased, amen, praise the Lord for that. Our our regular average worship attendance has increased by 49% in two and a half years. Our giving has increased by forty eight percent in the last two and a half years, so the reality is is as we 're moving forward, God is continuing to bless and it 's interesting I, I, I dug a little bit into some of those statistics. And what you realize is there's one group of people, one really denomination and and kind of specific within that denomination that is consistently growing more than any other. There are more people coming back to this kind of church than any other, and it's Protestant evangelical churches, which would be us. That's Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. And I I think the reason for that is this, I think people have discovered that if all you want to do is listen to a politically correct talking head who doesn't refer to the Bible, you can stay home and watch the news. People are coming back to church because they want to hear the word of God. They're looking for truth. They're looking for clarity. They're looking for direction. They need Jesus whether they know it or not. They're looking for something with substance. And I believe what's happening is as we continue to commit to be a Bible-believing, gospel-proclaiming, Christ-exalting, kingdom-advancing local church, then God is going to bless those simple things we have no secrets here. We're not doing anything tricky. We're just trying to be faithful to the basic call that God has put on our life. And I believe that what's happening is exactly what Jesus said is going to happen, that his sheep will hear his voice and will respond. So We're just trusting the ordained methods of the Lord. And I'm thankful for what God is, is doing. And that kind of is, is a part of that vision that God has given us. And You might remember as we talked about that last year, that was a very different campaign uh, than maybe you have ever experienced. And so we were asking the Lord to provide for us to move into all of these things. But I didn't preach one sermon on giving. Every sermon was on the presence of God. We had some Sunday evening, some Sunday afternoon events in which I shared with you the need. But I can say before God, listen to this, with one exception. And the one exception is because one senior adult couple asked me to come to their house because they weren't able to come to church. With that that exception right there, I did not ask one other person for money more than I meet with any other person to ask them to give. Not one. And the reason is this is because we believe that if we keep our focus on Jesus Christ, and if we just ask every one of you to pray and obey what God tells you to do, we're going to get everything that we need. I didn't want anybody to give because I asked them. I wanted people to give because they sensed from God that they were supposed to move forward. And what I said over and over and over is this. As we prayed and we kept our focus on Jesus and not on finances, what I said over and over is this. If every member of our church, every member of our church will pray, and do exactly what God tells them to do, we're going to get exactly what we need. And we may not even know what that is, but we're going to get exactly what we need. And I still am absolutely confident that that's the truth. As a matter of fact, I was so confident of that, that we almost didn't even put a number, like a big number of here's what we need to accomplish all of this. But the problem with that is, is then everyone began asking what the number was. And so what we said is, listen, in order to do everything that we envision for the future of our church, in order to do that debt-free, we were asking for $15 million in a two-year uh, campaign, which is, which is crazy. But let me tell you what the Lord did uh, here as we begin this year in response to, to what we talked about. Two things happened that were just incredible to me. The first one is this. Uh, the church voted on this. We have to do that. This is not my agenda. This is our agenda. And so we presented all the information and received 99% affirmation that this is what we believed we needed to do. Not only just moving forward in our facilities, but with the counseling center and with the apprenticeship program and training up pastors, all of that 99% affirmation. As a matter of fact, someone, I believe it was my wife, made the observation that I received more no votes than the building did when I came here. Yeah, that's a true story. So we're not going to vote again on me, by the way. <laughs> uh, but that's the truth. I-, I received more no votes five years ago than this, this uh, new initiative did. But we wanted to present it to you because we wanted to know if you were with us and if you felt like this is what we were going to do. And, and you said almost unanimously, yes, this is what we believe God's going to do. And so that's incredible and affirming that we're moving in the right direction as we prayed about it and the Spirit moved in your heart. And then the next thing that happened is this, is that Over those last few months, uh, as of this week, we have close to $11 million that has been pledged, $10,745,000 pledged, which is incredible. So almost $11 million. Now, there's some amazing things about that. Normally, when you move into something like this, what happens is your budget offering just tanks because everybody takes their budget money and just gives it to the building. We are 28 weeks into our budget this year. 28 weeks, so about a little more than halfway done with our budget, and we have a $934,000 budget surplus. Halfway through the year, almost a million-dollar budget surplus in the midst of $11 million being pledged. That's incredible. And there's one other thing, and I didn't realize this is possible, but, but I've discovered it is possible for something to be incredibly encouraging and discouraging at the exact same time. So let me tell you what it is. And we're going to choose to go glass half full, all right? We're going to try to go encouraging on this. But listen to this. A million dollars over in our budget, $11 million pledged, and only 48% of the giving units in our church pledged or gave. By giving unit, I mean our family is seven people, but we're one giving unit. So we're not saying every member, only 48% of our people gave, which means... We're that close with 52% of the people that haven't given. Now, I find that encouraging. I find it encouraging because of the potential and the possibility of what God can do as we continue to do what we believe he wants us to do. So the question is, what do we do now? Like with that kind of amount of money and how do we move forward? Well, I think the normal and easy thing to do would be this. Um, there is no bank in America that would not loan us $4 million. $4 million. Um, just because we've uh, got so much in budget surplus and money that's saved and everything that we're supposed to do. There's no, there's no bank that would not do that. And the truth is, because our budget is so healthy, we could pay for that note within the budget without having to raise our budget. That would be easy for us to do, but we are not going to do that. We're not going to go to the bank. We're not going to borrow money. Our administrative team, our building team, and Tim Luke and I met, prayed through this and talked about it. And here's, here's what we've decided to do. We have 12 months of work to do before we ever break ground. There is uh, engineering work to be done. There is architectural work to be done. There is city approval and planning work that needs to be done. There is a solid year of things that need to be done. So what we're going to do is we're going to begin with cash to do that work that needs to be done before we ever break ground and we're going to believe with absolute confidence that if 99% of you approve that we needed to do this and if 52% of you have still yet to give by the time we break ground we will have every penny we need and we will do it without any debt. That's the plan moving forward. And I want to tell you, I am more optimistic. I am more hopeful. I am more encouraged. I am more more at rest. I am more at peace. I have more joy than I ever did last year as I was waiting on this because I'm absolutely confident given what God has already done that we are going to see this completed and the waiting is going to be the most significant part. Because it is in the waiting that God is going to continue to move in your heart. Because I'm still convinced, absolutely convinced, that if every member of our church prayed and obeyed and gave what God told them to do, we we would have everything we need. And that has not yet happened. So I'm convinced of that. But I'm also convinced of this. That in the waiting, there is something that God wants to teach us that if we do not learn, we will never be the church God wants us to be. And it's a lesson from, from Matthew 9. I I can't tell you how deeply I believe that part of the reason God wants us to wait and continue to press into this is because we're not ready for what's next. Because here's the reality. Listen carefully, here's the reality. It would be possible, not only possible, but likely for us to continue to, to grow in dramatic fashion doing the same things we're doing right now and not see anyone come to Christ. If we continue to do the same things we're doing, we preach, we sing, we love people and we get people connected and engaged and we provide opportunities, we could continue to grow dramatically just by nature of the fact that people are moving to the area. I'm not talking about people leaving other churches and joining our church. People moving to the area, they're looking for a church, we're closest, they think we're not that bad, and so they join and stick with us. It is possible For us to see dramatic growth, fill up this room and the next room and multiple services and not see anyone come to Christ. That is possible. But it cannot happen. It cannot happen. Because we exist as a church to lead people to trust and follow Christ. That's our mission. Leading people to trust and follow Christ. And there's two parts to that. We want to lead people to begin Trusting and following Christ. And then we want to lead them to continue to trust and follow Jesus Christ. What we mean is that We want you to know how to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe even this morning. We want you to acknowledge your sin and your separation from God. We want you to acknowledge that there is no good outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That you have no hope in this life or the next life without a relationship with Jesus. And the way you begin is you trust Jesus alone as the payment for your sins. And you make a decision to follow him. That's how you begin. And every day of the rest of your life is continuing to wake up and decide, I'm going to trust and follow Jesus Christ today. And so you may have been a believer for 40 years. You know what our mission for you is? We want to keep pressing you to trust and follow Jesus Christ. But the way it's supposed to happen is this. We're supposed to do the first thing and then the second thing. That's the Great Commission. We're supposed to lead people to start a relationship with Jesus and then teach them to observe everything he has commanded. But the problem is this. We, like many other churches, have found a way to do the second part without doing the first part. We just continue to grow with people who have already given their life to Jesus Christ and praise God. And I want to be honest with you about this. Like, this this is more of my gifting. My favorite New Testament character is Barnabas. And Barnabas was an exhorter and an encourager. He kept encouraging people to persevere in the faith, to stay faithful with the Lord. And that, that's what I do. I feel like that's what the Lord has gifted me and called me to do. But he's also gifted and called us as a church to not just take already existing believers and help them grow, but to help lost people come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And if we're not doing that, we're missing what God has called us to do. And I believe what God wants to do in this waiting in the next year is he wants us to make sure we're doing both parts of the mission that this place is being filled up with people who just got saved. Right here for the first service, I stood right here. And a member of our church introduced me to a guy he led to Christ this week. That should be happening every Sunday. So I'm doing it because you're doing it, and we're leading people to trust Christ. And the way in which we get there is prescribed for us in Matthew 9. If you're there in Matthew 9, verse 35, say amen. Amen. Because I would say it feels overwhelming. There is no area of defeat. I would say more in the life of most believers than the area of evangelism. We feel defeated. We feel hopeless. We feel as if there's no way we can ever lead someone to Christ. I want to tell you that is an absolute lie from the pit of hell. You can lead someone to Christ. Look at what it says. It says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let's stop right there. Sky talked about this last week, that this has to begin With a burden. It can't begin with action. It has to begin with a burden. It has to begin with a, listen, with a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. It has to begin with something changing inside of us where when we look out over the seas of people that we pass every day, our heart is broken because we see them no matter how put together they are or how wealthy they are, they are harassed and helpless if they don't have Jesus. They're being harassed by the enemy and they are helpless to see anything in their life change without the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the reality. And what God has to do is take our calloused and hard hearts and have them broken over the state of lost people and only God can do it. So we need a supernatural work of God to to change our hearts and we don't need just like this vision for the billions of people in Japan and Nepal and the ends of the earth but the people next door. The people you pass every single day. The people whose name you have known for years but have not yet shared the gospel with. Those are the people that God has to break our heart for. 37 and 38 show us the way in which the Lord does this. He switches metaphors from sheep and a shepherd to a harvest and laborers. Look at verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so we say, Lord, I, I want to be changed. Like, I want you to use me. I want my life to matter for the kingdom. I would love if I could see someone come to Christ. I would love for that to be a part of my life and my story. I would love for my funeral to be filled with people who I led to Jesus Christ. But God, how does that happen? Well, I think this tells us that there are two realities in these verses, in verses 37 and 38, that we must know and that we must embrace if we want to move forward in this area. I want to encourage you to write these down. Reality number one is this. Listen to this. We are surrounded by people ready to be saved. I did not say we are surrounded by people who need to be saved. I did not say that. I said reality number one is this, we are surrounded by people who are ready to be saved. I have preached this text, I don't know how many times, number of times. I have studied this text a number of times. I saw something this week I had never seen before, and I don't know why I had never seen it before, particularly given all the imagery throughout scripture of seeds and watering and fields and harvesting. What I noticed is this. When Jesus looks out at the multitudes of people, he does not see an empty field waiting for seeds to be planted. He doesn't see an empty field that already has seeds that is waiting to be watered. Do we plant seeds by talking about Jesus? Yes. Do we water them by continuing to, uh, to talk about Jesus? Yes. But Jesus does not see an empty field ready for seeds. He sees a harvest ready to be brought in. What I mean is this. He sees people ready to get saved. That's what a harvest is. A harvest is something that is ready. Jesus sees a harvest. Jesus looks at the people and he says, there are people out here ready to get saved. There's just no one to tell them how. One of the ways I know that's true is because he says it in John four thirty-five. Write that down, John four thirty-five. Jesus says, do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Jesus says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. No, they're ready for harvest. The spirit is already moving. God is already working. There is people who have already had the seed of the gospel planted in their life. The seed has been watered by others and they're ready to give their life to Jesus Christ. They just have to have someone to tell them how. Jesus sees a harvest. I've said this to you before, but I want to say it again. There's a lot of lies that we have believed that have taken root. And by the way, a demonic stronghold, as Paul talks about it, a a demonic stronghold is a lie that you believe. That's why we take strongholds down by truth. So a demonic stronghold is some lie that you believe. We have believed all of these lies that no one wants to hear the gospel and no one will ever believe it and no one will receive it. And it's just not true. What I've said to you before is that we walk around thinking that if we share the the gospel, like that people are sinners, and there's a real hell, and if they don't come to Jesus, they're going to be in hell forever, and they have to believe that the only way to be saved from their sin is by trusting Jesus. We think if we say that, people are going to think we're crazy. But the truth is, at some point, someone told you that, and you're not crazy. Most, most of you at some point, someone told you the gospel and you believed it. You're here this morning because you believed it or you're here this morning because you're thinking about believing it. And so why do we think that no one else will believe it if we share it? We just rock around thinking no one is going to believe this and no one wants to hear this. And what I'm telling you is Jesus looks at this and says there are people ready to be saved. And the reason I know that if we share the gospel, some people will be saved is because Rowan 1.16 says this, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. They will not get saved because your presentation is so smooth. They will get saved because when the gospel is spoken, it comes with the power of God. Will they all get saved? No, but some of them will because there is a harvest ready. There are people ready to be saved. You know, I thought about the groups that we send a couple of times a year to travel for three days and take a Jeep for. 12 and 15 hours, and then to trek through the mountains to get to these people groups of Nepal. And I thought about, why do we do that? And why do we have any confidence that someone there is gonna get saved? And what I realized is this, it's because Revelation 7 says, there will be people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. You hear that? That's a promise. There will be people from every nation, tongue, and tribe, which means that in every one of those little tribes, it may not be this trip, but at some point, somebody from that tribe is going to give their life to Jesus Christ. Now, when you believe that, all of a sudden you kind of walk into these little villages in Nepal with a little bit more confidence that someone at some point is going to get saved. And yet we walk around with all of our neighbors and all of our fellow students and friends thinking that there's no possible way any of them would get saved. I want you to walk around with the confidence that if you will keep talking about the gospel, you are going to see someone saved. Because we are surrounded by people ready to know Jesus Christ. Just imagine it. Like put, put, put away for a minute all of your thoughts that you can't do this and, and all of the defeat in the past and all of the sermons that you've heard that made you feel guilty on this, just forget all that. Look at me. Imagine what it would be like is if you led some people to Christ this year. Like what if you led some friends or some teammates or some coworkers or some family members or some neighbors to Christ? What if you presented the gospel and some of them got saved? What if this time next year, there are people in this room because you led them to Christ. That'd be awesome. Like, does anyone think that would be great? Would that be awesome? Like, not because I preached and they walked down the aisle, but because you led them to Christ. That would be so great. And what if every week there was people being baptized here? Why? Because you led them to Christ on Tuesday and you brought them to church on Sunday and we met them and they got baptized the next Sunday because all of us are doing it and every seat is is filled with someone who just got saved. And you want to tell, you want to see a church that's filled with joy and excitement and energy? You get a church filled with people who just got saved. (laughs) It'd be incredible. I want you to know Listen to me, it's possible. It is absolutely possible. And that's the second reality. The first reality is we are surrounded by people ready to be saved. The second reality is this. They will not be saved without prayer. They will not be saved without prayer. They also will not be saved without hearing the gospel. Sky talked about that last week. But listen, Jesus' first response to this problem, the problem... Of the labor crisis in the church. Talking a lot about labor crisis these days. The labor crisis in the church. Is that the problem. Of people not getting saved. Is not because they're not ready. It's because there's no one telling them. That's the problem. And Jesus' first response to that problem. Is to pray. Look what he says. Therefore. What do you mean therefore? Therefore because there's tons of people ready to get saved. And there's no one telling them. Pray earnestly. See, those words pray earnestly. That means to implore and and to beseech. It's it's one word in the Greek for prayer, but we really need two words to communicate it because it means a kind of prayer that is pleading and begging for the Lord to do something is this persistent asking for God to do something that you know only he can do. He says, so if you wanna see people saved and if you're burdened by your lack of leading people to Christ and you've got teammates and friends and co-workers and neighbors that you want to get saved the first thing you do listen is you start by praying the one thing we often skip because we're not confident it works therefore pray earnestly why don't you really pray that the Lord would do this I want you you to hear a principle. This is a kingdom principle. You need to know it is true in every area of life. If God says he is going to do something by prayer, he will not do it without prayer. Do you hear me? If God says he will do something by prayer, he will not do it without prayer. So if God has said the way in which we be more effective, the way we see more laborers, the way that we get a burden ourselves, the way we become the people and the church we want to be leading people to Christ is to begin with prayer. If God says that, he will not do it no matter how much effort you put in if you don't begin by prayer. And the reason is this is because the real work that needs to happen is not just more self-effort. What we need is the Holy Spirit of God. Filling us with his love, filling us with his affection, filling us with his words, I mean, you just read John 13 through 17 as Jesus was leading his disciples. Well, how am I going to know what to say? The spirit will lead you into all truth. Well, how am I going to be bold? The spirit will give you power. Well, I don't know. I don't know what to do. The spirit will guide you. Everything is about the power of the spirit of God. And you can't get that just by wanting it more. Jesus says the father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. I have, I'm not going to tell you what they are. I have three very deep things I want the Lord to do in my life this year. They're just spiritual things. Just really deep things I want to see God do. And what God has shown me is that all three of those things I have a passage for that tell me that all three of those things can be done in my life if I'll pray. All three of them. Like I have a promise If you'll just pray about this, here's here's what's amazing. If the Lord has said that it would be possible for you to be leading people to Christ, it would be possible for you to be bold. It would be possible for you to be evangelistic. It would be possible for you to know what to say and when to say it. Just by praying, why would you not pray about this? Like, why would you not just say, Lord, for the next few days, for the next few months, I want to pray, and I'm going to pray every day. And I'm just going to say, Lord, this isn't me, but it's you, and I want it to be me. Lord, I need your work in my life. Lord, I need a burden. I need a desire. I need a longing. I need boldness. I need clarity. I need wisdom. I need grace to speak. I need open doors. Why would you not just pray? Why would I not just pray? Just pray, just start by praying and seeing if it is possible for God to do something in your life that would have never been done unless you asked him. That's exactly what it's saying. I feel like the Lord is saying to me, Josh, no more defeat, no more discouragement. Just make this a matter of consistent prayer and see what I'll do. And one of the reasons, one of the primary reasons the Lord has given us, I think another year to wait on him Because when we get a new building that has more seats, we need it filled with people we're leading to Christ, and that's got to happen right now, not then. We just have to pray. So we've given you two practical ways to do that. The first one is this card that you brought in with you this morning. Hopefully you were given one. If not, you can get one at the end of the service. They're available. It's just this little credit card, feeling card, and on the back, it says, I commit to praying earnestly for the salvation of the following people in 2023. If you know three people that need to give their life to Christ, would you raise your hand? Three people. Okay, so what we want you to do is just write their names down. You may have 10 people. We'll just keep writing. Just write small. Just keep writing. One thing we want you to do this year is make it a consistent consistent thing to be praying for these people to get saved. Not only does that matter because of what God does in their heart, it matters because of what God does in your heart. Pray. The second thing is this. We are starting tomorrow with a 21-day uh, fasting journey. and. Listen, one of the discussions at our house last night with all of our kids was uh, they were asking what do they needed fast from and how does this work? And we talked about uh, the fact that what we mean by fasting, it can be food, but it also be anything that you would say no to for a little bit because you want something more than you want that. It may be one meal a day when you say, I'm not going to eat this meal. I'm going to skip lunches one day a week or I'm not going to eat one day a week or one meal every day for 21 days. Or you might say, I'm not going to look at social media for 21 days. I'm not going to watch Netflix or anything else for 21 days. I'm not going to watch my shows for whatever. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend that time reading the word of God and praying for God to change me. You fast in order to feast. Don't just sit there. You consume the word of God and you pray, God, help me. God, I want to be effective. I want to be evangelist. I want someone to come to Christ this year because I led them to come to Christ. If God has made that a promise, then you need to believe that promise and pray earnestly. And I know it's a challenge particularly for you over here, but right out the wall out here, we have this big banner. We're asking you just to put your initials on the days that you're gonna fast because it matters for us to be united in this. This kind of united prayer matters and it motivates. So I'm asking you to take the time to go over there. Today, you may go out and go around. I don't know, just go over there and write your name on that. And let's just commit together to begin and say, Lord, we want you to do this work in our lives. Because if we're not doing that work, a lot of the other work just doesn't matter that much. There is no possible way God will do it unless we begin with prayer. And so let's, let's begin now. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.